cliffcentral.com. All right, today we're chatting with Garth Mill from the Wannabe a Champion Academy. Now, that is quite, um, it's quite a name for a place. It doesn't mess around. You go there because you want to become very, very good, and it's wanting to become very, very good at golf. Now, a few weeks back, uh, I think if you're listening to the Gareth Cliff Show in the morning, uh, you may have heard me say that I want to get my life together and become a really good golfer. What that entails is obviously a lot of time, a lot of effort, but um, it's going to take a lot of sort of expertise, more technical things, I'm sure, about the golf game because it's a very intricate game, this thing of golf, and that is why I love it so much. You know, you can have a good day, you can have a bad day, and I'm sure you can agree with me if you have played golf before or you do play golf currently, you never know which one's going to be. But when you know people like Garth and you work with people like Garth who is an expert in the field, you can kind of take a lot of these variables out and of course become better. So this is what the pros go to him for, and also how guys like I go to him for, to get better at the game of golf. Garth, thanks so much for joining me today. It's only a pleasure, man. It's, uh, as you can see, that intro was totally unrehearsed. <laughs> um, I've, I've wanted to chat to you. I met you originally through Serengeti Golf Club. Um, I think the first time we really chatted was around the SA Open back then, and I was quite interested in what you do. You seem to always be around professionals. People always seem to pay attention when you spoke, um, and then obviously I've been onto your website, and I found a bit more about what you do. I recently saw you at the Johannesburg Open, which is one of the European co-sanctioned tour events. And of course, you do work with professionals. Um, just sort of starting out, what was your background in golf? How did you get involved in this amazing game that we both love? Well, I, it started in my, my postgraduate uh, study years, actually, uh, when I was at Rhodes University for my sins. Um, but I, um, I was always going to go into cricket. Um, I was a good cricketer growing up, and, and, and cricket conditioning was, was certainly uh, the road that was uh, laid before me. Um, but in 97, 98, uh, a young kid by the name of Tiger Woods appeared on the scene, and, and suddenly I realized that I could actually make my passion my occupation, which was golf. Oh, right. I've always been uh, a passionate golfer. Um, played sort of universities level golf, but never really had uh, any desire to, to, to turn professional. I think I just knew that my skill set wasn't really going to be that good. Um, but I kind of realized that I could really sort of gel both the, the health and wellness and fitness side of things, um, which is what I was studying, um, with golf. And, and this, the whole, the whole new world opened up to me. Now, back then, of course, it's great that you mentioned Tiger because it definitely speeds this conversation longer. But mm-hmm. before Tiger, it was play around, have a pint. Um, you know, if you look back at some of the real buttes of golf, like in wisdom back in those days, golf changed a whole bunch when Tiger came onto the scene. When you said, you know, your passion can now become your occupation, was it still a very new thing? industry-wise here in South Africa in particular, that people were looking more about the health, the fitness, the technical side of things back, was it the, like yeah, late 90s? Yeah, late 90s, yeah. Ben, I mean, in actual fact, it was a very new thing globally. Um, I uh, To do my, my postgraduate thesis study, uh, you know, you obviously have to look through journals and get, uh, you know, peer-reviewed studies that you can validate um, what, what, what my research was about. And there was nothing on golf. Anything on golf uh, injuries or anything related to that was about, you know, club hits head, you know, ball against knee, that type of thing. <laughs> So there was no there was no study in overuse or anything like that, and I actually, funny enough, had to um, had to source a lot of baseball um, research, um, and I kind of did a bit of a, a correlation between the movement mechanics of of swinging a baseball bat um, to swinging a golf club, um, and there are a lot of similarities in the two. So that's really where I had to source my my information from back then. Um, but yeah, like you said, Tiger really changed um, the way that professional golf is viewed. 
um, as an athlete rather than just exactly like you say a, a beer swigging strange pant, funny pants wearing man um, <laughs> yeah, seeking professional um, advice out there so I mean Tiger there's a lovely story about Tiger actually um, he, he played a, an event in one of his first events in, in La Costa in, in California mm-hmm. and uh, the gym is on one side of the, the clubhouse and uh, the main bar is in the center and, and he purposely walked through the center of, of the bar with a you know drenched in sweat with the towel around his shoulders and walked past all is uh, his contemporaries who've been on the turf for many years and just you know, casually gave a little uh, what's up guys as he walked through off to his workout while they were sitting around having a pint off to their round and I think a lot of them realized that uh, you know the dawn of a new age had arrived definitely he did ruin the bar and he really did I think but didn't Greg Norman he was one of the more original guys because I, I actually remember chatting to Ian Wilson about this exact thing mm. like who changed it who changed it from the beer to the practice green because a lot of guys there's been a lot of time practicing afterwards mm. For sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, Greg definitely was one of those who was, uh, who was cognizant of his, his physical um, conditioning and actually doing some stuff in the gym. Obviously, we can all go back to Gary. I mean, Gary is yeah. known as the sort of the, the, the grandfather exactly. of, uh, of, of uh, golf fitness. Although, you know, a lot of the stuff that he, he does, even to this day, um, I certainly do not do with my athletes because uh, I'm, I'm about building a golfing athlete, not just a, <laughs> a bodybuilder. So how, how did you then get started officially in the industry? Because it must have been quite a bit of a tough sell to some people. Um, to go and spread the net sort of focus wise. Um, so did you start off just one on one or did you start working at a club itself? How, how did it become to the stage where you are now? Yeah, Ben, I actually started in a, in a tennis center, funny enough, in London. Um, I was living in the UK and, and, and working there. Um, and, uh, I managed to convert, uh, one of the, go- one of the tennis courts up at the top in the back corner. Um, and I had a little sort of, um, inflatable net and, and mm-hmm. that's where it all started there. Um, and then I'd go around to golf clubs and, and had to get the golf coaches buy-in um, to actually send their students to me. Um, and one of the hardest things was um, actually convincing them that I was uh, an assist to their business, not a threat to their business. Right. And, uh, so you weren't just some rival coach, so correct, to speak. Correct, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, and, I'm, and I would never profess to be a, a skills coach as such. Um, I, I coach ability. So you know, when I came back to South Africa in 2005, I mean, I literally spent four months in a car driving around um, Johannesburg and Pretoria and meeting all the coaches, and and I met up with a couple who who, who saw me as as an asset to their business. And you know, I've always said my my main focal point is on building an athlete's ability to play golf. It's up to the coach to teach them the technical skill, and I think it's always much easier to to dump as much skill as you want on someone who has a lot of ability. Um, right. And if they don't have the ability to move and and execute a certain skill, well, then it's very difficult to teach them that skill. Now, some would say you don't need to be in great shape if you look at the some some purists out there who still i think skip the gym a bit um what really essentially i know this is a very broad question and you must get this a hell of a lot but golf's about physical and both mental but if you were to give again i mean i feel bad asking this question because i know it's not an easy answer but what essentially does make a champion though knowing that you know the various sides of things you look at people and everyone that starts playing professional golf the guys in the top amateur levels they can all shoot 65 sure. they've all got that physical ability but what essentially makes them a champion yeah like you said it's a tough question i actually funny if i gave a talking on exactly this topic the other day um you know when we look at the gamma golf and, and like any sport there's always going to be the technical skill um, the technical execution of of the movement that you need to do in that in that sport, whether it's golf or tennis or cricket or whatever it is, there's the mental side to that, and and then there's the physical side too. And and we look at that sort of that trifecta of of things that need to be in place. Um, 
golf has always been a bit of a nebulous one, though, because you know you, you'll see guys that are winning um, around the world, um, and they certainly don't have the physical prowess of of Tiger Woods or Rory or one of those guys. Sure. But they can get by on on sort of technical skill and mental fortitude, um, and they may well compete one week, um, and they'll win a PGA Tour event or a, or a big event. But but they will never be able to compete consistently. And you just need to look at the top top twenty, top twenty five in the world now. They are all mentally strong, technically sound, and they're all athletes. They're all doing something in the gym and 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 training to to condition their bodies. And and a lot of them are posting things all over Instagram to to prove it too. So yeah, it's become uh, a fashionable thing now. Yeah, so I think you know for, to be able to compete, you certainly need those those three aspects. Um, to become a champion, you know, there's there's really two things. I mean, there's there, you need to have a love of the game, and I don't it doesn't matter what sport yeah. it is, you got to love what you do, um, because that is going to be your driving force to get you out onto the onto the range, into the gym, and, and to do the right things, to be able to compete um, week in, week out in a professional sport. Um, and so the love gives you the ability to do the work that actually underpins your ability to perform. Now, with all those factors, in considering all those factors, how difficult is it to assess someone? Say, for instance, I am a young professional, and um, you know, I've gone through the hard yards. Maybe I'm in line to get my sunshine to a card. How easy is it to assess what you're going to work on with somebody? Because they could be strong of mind. They could have physical cap- capabilities. Um, is this like, do you have a, a detailed screening process before you get into the more technical things? Yeah, exactly, Ben. So I, I run a program um, through an institute called TPI. Um, they're based in Coles Bay, California, and they are pretty much at the forefront of golf performance coaching and training. Um, and they've actually been uh, doing a lot of stuff in other sports now because their programs are so um, efficient, so effective, and, and, and actually produce results. So any student that comes to see me, first and foremost, I run them through our physical screen. And at the end of that, you will receive – there's a fitness handicap that you get. Now, I mean, obviously, we'd like you to be a low single figure, maybe if not a scratch in, in your physical screen. Um, anyone in the teens has got a bit of work to do, and anyone over 18 and close to 20, um, well, um, they're going to spend a lot of time with me in the gym and, uh, right. and, and really working on their Because body, it's, an, so. it's a non-negotiable, essentially. You can't get to a point of excellence unless you've ticked that box. 100%. A, a consistency. You know, like, and, and exactly. I mean, it's not, I mean, I've got guys who've won tournaments on the Sunshine Tour with a fitness handicap of 27. Um, the thing is that they're not going to be able to perform week in, week out. And these guys often say to me, they say, you know, Garth, I can play a round of golf where for nine holes, I just can't find the golf course, and then suddenly I, my my swing comes back to me, and and I'm okay, or, or vice versa. I start off like house on fire, and suddenly I lose my swing, and I often have to say to them, "Look, you don't lose your swing. It's a motor engram. It's in your brain. It knows yeah. what it's trying to do. The problem is your hardware, your body can't actually replicate what your brain is trying to tell it to do. Exactly so, because your fitness handicap is so high. So if I can improve your hardware." Then the software program that you have of your golf swing is just going to be able to run more smoothly and more consistently and more be more repeatable. So, um, it is nice to have the fitness handicap, and I think it's nice when 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 I run the TPR screen is that guys can then there's a goal to shoot for, you know, and you know there's there's a benchmark, there's a there's a mark in the sand, right? Okay, this is where I am today, and we can build you know programming that can then fix the what I call the red flags or um, the real areas of concern, clear those things out, and then you know, the fitness handicap comes down, and and that's a real motivator for for guys to keep doing their, their their workouts and to come and see me in the gym and, and also do the stuff while they're on the road as well, um, which is always hard um, to sort of throw a towel down in your hotel room and, and make sure that you do your stretches and your recovery work. But yeah, that's a good motivator. I mean, I always find like I um I've done pretty much all sports and obviously through my blog and what I do in sports, I'm very curious. So I'll give everything a try from contact sports to Pilates, yoga, Whatever. I've, I've pretty much tried it all, I think. But what I find interesting is that the more you work out in different ways, the more you understand your body, 
I don't think there's a better sport in the world where you need to understand your body because the swing, like people are saying, losing the swing. People talk about feel a lot. But if you can understand your body, those things will be a whole lot easier. 100%. We call it kinesthetic awareness. Yeah. It's awareness of my body and space. And the better I can be at that, the, the quicker I can make changes um, to my swing and so that I can actually, you know, I might have a day when I'm a little bit off. But because I've got an understanding of what my what my body's doing, I can feel the club and I can actually make, you know, my troubleshoots basically on yeah. the golf course to actually fix it and, and turn what would be a terrible round into something okay and I can then go and work it on the range afterwards and come back tomorrow and hopefully shoot a low one. So, you know, that kinesthetic awareness and that, that sort of that, that body IQ, I think that's important. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you mean that. The body IQ, you hear more about it nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's not people just throwing around because they've got nothing to say. It's yeah. just that it's become so integral to understanding what goes on. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so you get into decent shape. Obviously, a mental component of this is quite important. Is that something that you, again, is it quite difficult to assess who needs more, who needs less of that kind of stuff? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, some people could do it more than others, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we look at... At, uh, we do sort of a game assessment, um, from a technical perspective, from a physical perspective, and from a mental perspective too. And, and, you know, we've got a number of different mental coaches that's, that we will send students to, depending. Um, and it's because they use different techniques. You know, some psychologists like to use very process oriented type stuff. Okay. Um, other mental coaches or psychologists like to be more, you know, um, get in your space, actually get to understand you more and have a cup of coffee and, and become your friend in a way as almost like a confidant, a mentor right. type. Step. So someone like Bob Rattella would be something like that. There's other psychologists that are more about the regimented, okay, well, this is what you've got to do, A, B, C, your three Cs, your three Ps, that type of thing. So, you know, depending on the person, the individual student, what their personality type is, we will then refer them on to a mental coach that sort of fits in line with how they they operate their mo you know and so that there's no clash um in the way that they do things with regards to technology we all know that i mean if i look at what the, the smartphone has done for your average hacker i mean i can get shot tracer now you know i can get all kinds of things that can tell me things about the swing how has technology changed what you've done you know as recently as say the last 10 years when working with clients it's it's unbelievable how, what technology has done and, and the rate at which it is moving. I mean, like you say, we just look at the iPhone and, and cell phone technology. It, it's incredible. Um, you know, I was actually Trevor Ullman, um, who's been playing back here and, I, and I've got some old swings of his from when he won uh, the Nedbank, um, in 06, uh, before he won his masters. And I said to him, I'll, I'll send him the swings. And, uh, they were, they were filmed with a, with an old, um, analog, you know, cassette tape type camera, and, right. and, and it's been a bit of a mission trying to convert those and, and get them sent off to him. So it just shows how quick it's changed. I mean, you know, golf pros nowadays or teaching professionals don't use cameras as such anymore. They use a phone because yeah. the, the technology is so good um, that you know they're, they're just happy to to use that. Um, a lot of it is the big change has been in data, um, data analysis. Um, one of the big changes has been uh, launch monitors. Um, so things like TrackMan and Flyscope. Uh, yeah, you um, see a lot of that on Instagram. All the pros correct. almost like travel with a TrackMan now. Absolutely, they do. And, and, and TrackMan really has revolutionized golf. Uh, in fact, it's changed the teaching manuals. Um, I um, I teach and uh, lecture and assess the, the, the sports science module for the PGA of South Africa. And um, we've actually had to change some of the teaching models that were originally um, you know, taught to golf teaching professionals. And, and what we understood what we thought we understood about how the ball flew through the air and what created ball flight and things like that, um, we realized we were wrong um, because now with the advent of, of launch monitors, we actually wow. able to see that, that in actual fact, you know, the, the, the face, the club face 
actually dictates 80% of, of how a ball flies through the air. And, you know, the way that club face is entering into, into impact, the way it strikes, where the, the ball strikes the, on, on the club face, um, can have a multitude of effects on the golf ball. So that's where TrackMan really has changed things a lot. Um, from a coaching perspective, um, one of the best things about TrackMan and using launch monitors is it's actually taken the technical away from the coach. So I think a lot of guys see the numbers and they see the data and they think, oh, my word, TrackMan is going to make me so technical. But in actual fact, it does the opposite. The, the TrackMan and, and, and the, the information you have on your, on your tablet sitting there telling you what the club was doing and what the ball was doing when you made contact, well, that's the technical. It just makes you, as a coach, even more kinesthetic, more noetic in the way that we coach. It's a lot more feel-orientated. So we might say to the guy, well, look, your number, you're a bit steep into impact. You want to try and shallow that out a little bit. So I want you to feel like you're doing this. You know, and, and that really has changed coaching in a way, which has been for the better for me. I think a lot of coaches were getting very technical sort of 10 years ago. Um, but whereas now with the advent of technology, which has made it a lot more user-friendly, um, it's made coaching a lot more of an art again mm-hmm. as opposed to a science. I think a lot of guys were getting very scientific and it was all a, I remember I went to a coaching conference in 08 and it was the, the sort of motto or the, if it was a hashtag back then, we didn't have it back then, but, uh, it would have been, it's all about physics because that's what everyone was talking about. And I certainly was, I had my, my red, my red flag up there because I thought, well, this is quite dangerous here. We're getting into more of a technical environment. But with the advent of the technology and, and the software and the interface that we now have, um, it's become a lot more user-friendly, which is actually making coaching back to an art again, which is quite exciting for me. This this all fascinates me. And I think, you know, for the purpose of this interview, we're going to move on to other subjects. Mm-hmm. But I could probably talk to you about this for like another hour or two. Uh, Phil Mickelson in an interview recently said, to be a good golf, you've got to be either really clever or really dumb. <laughs> so which, which made me kind of think. And I'm, I'm not going to sound mean or anything, but... When I look at the best golfer right now, I look at Dustin Johnson. Sure. That guy hits the ball. I mean, you look at that swing and you look at how he goes through impact mm. and you look at how he approaches things. Mm. And it's pretty simple. You then look at someone like Bryson DeChambeau, right? He was an amateur sensation. He's come onto the scene. He's trying to put side saddle. Yeah. He's got all kinds of things. You follow him on Instagram and his followers are even saying, Dude, cut the technical crap yeah, now. Yeah. Just make a cut. 100%. Yeah. So you look where all of these things you've just mentioned, you can use in certain ways. With a guy like Dustin Johnson, he's obviously he's found his sweet spot in golf. He knows what he needs to do. He's had his own personal issues, but now you can just see that guy's in the zone, sure. and it's great to see. Using information, all those different things, taking what he needs out of it. Look at a guy like Bryson DeChambeau. He's, he's searching. He's trying things, and it must be so distracting. Like... As a coach and as someone who's in charge of a player's well-being and this kind of stuff, I mean, w- would he be your kind of worst nightmare as a student, so to speak, with a, with a guy who's constantly thinking and tinkering? Yeah, uh, yes and no. I think um, you know it, it's we have we have students like that, and it's often a case of trying to dumb it down for them because they can be over and. Over analytical. Um, yeah, I think he's gone past that six I times. Know, so. <laughs> so, you know, some, you look at someone like Dustin Johnson. Okay, so you know that that's the one extreme. Okay, I I I, I call it the Herschel Gibbs syndrome. You just you're just too stupid to know what's going on. It so happens. Just, it happens, I, and you keep and making it, it happen. And, and this is the whole thing. I mean, you, <laughs> you you look at you know cricket coaches. I mean, the, the, some of the best batting coaches. You know, ask, you asked him what what is their coaching technique, what is their match. They go 
Seaball, hit ball. Mm. And really that's what yeah. it comes down to. I mean, Dustin Johnson plays golf, Seaball, hit ball, doesn't he? And that's how Herschel Gibbs used to bat. I mean, he'd get done with the Jaffa and he wasn't worried about whether his bat was straight or skewer. And he's just, he was just thinking, okay, come, let's see what you got. Bowl the next one. I'm going to hit this one out of the ground. So, exactly. you know, and I think I try, we try and, Encourage our students to play golf that same way. It's, it's obviously I'm quite technical or I'm, I'm trying to work on my skill set when I'm practicing, but, but we play with a very different mindset. Um, more of a, a think box, play box type thing that we do. So, um, someone like Bryson DeChambeau at the moment, look, I mean, he's struggling a bit as well, which is, which is always going to make it harder because well, there's a lot of searching going on there. And, now. and I, I guess he's just, he's new to the tour as well. So yeah. there's those pressures exactly and challenges right. too. And there'd be lots of questions like guys like us talking about him right now. So, you know, I think, that's where a good team around you is really important um, to actually take and deflect and, and actually help um, maybe maybe chew over some of the things that he's maybe thinking of working on and, and really sift through a lot of the the, the crap, basically, that, that sure. is out there. Yeah, I think it has a... Has I mean, you'd be effect. so tempted to go into this kind of stuff Very because so, yeah. you've got, like you said, all this yeah. data is there now. And you can get inundated with it and you can actually drown in it. So yeah. it's, that's where the, the coach is important that he takes that data, he looks at it, he can sift through it and decide, right, what is the burden of stuff that we need to be working on and then take that to the player. So, I mean, a, you know, someone like Rafa Nadal is a, a really good example. I mean, Uncle Tony does that for him and does a great job. You know, you, you, no one gets to, nothing gets to Rafa unless it goes through Uncle Tony. And I think, right. you know, I think, I think the same thing happened with, with Dustin Johnson. I mean, nothing got to Dustin Johnson unless it went through Butch Harmon. And sort of Butch took that role on and, and has been, you know, integral to, to Dustin Johnson's success now. So with the with the, some of the pros that you work with, um, what's your approach sort of going into a tournament and then what kind of stuff would tournament week essentially hold for you? That's well, such a good lead and I think, you know, a lot of the stuff we're really working on is is just play, you know, and, and trying to get the guys into a good mindset of playing golf um, and not hitting, hit, you know, making golf swings, actually hitting golf shots. And, and that's a, it sounds the same, but it's fundamentally different. Yeah. And so... From my perspective, from a, from the fitness side, um, you know, in the lead up to events, I'm always trying to get the guys physically ready. It's all about readiness and getting them ready to go. Um, on the morning of an event, we do a warm up. Um, I always call it my quick and dirty warm up. I'm looking at improving mobility in the ankle, in the hip, and in the thoracic spine. I'm looking at improving stability in the glutes, in the core, and in my scapula, my shoulder blades. And then the last thing I do is we look at some form of activation. So one of in Activate the movement pattern that is uh, that we see in the golf swing. Um, so just some form of rotation, obviously. It is a rotary sport. Um, something where we're loading them into a squat to a deadlift type movement pattern. But I've always traveled with my medicine ball and my and my bag of superflex bands, and we and we we, we do warm ups and we you know it gets, gets quite active. This is everything an amateur golfer yeah. does not do. Exactly right. <laughs> no, I mean, and it's and and Ben, it's not it's not half an hour. It's literally it's between eight and fifteen minutes. So depending on the student, some guys like a longer warm up, some guys like a shorter one, and. And, you know, I've always got a foam roller and I've always got my bands and my ball and, and, and we, we run a warm up every single day before we play. And I just think one of the big things is, I mean, one of my players once said to me, he said, you know, Garth, the way I play, it just depends on how I feel on that first tee shot, like how my body's feeling. And he said it to me like it was a problem. And I said to him, well, don't you understand? That's actually a good thing because we can control that. Yeah. Like I can control how I eat. I can control how I sleep. I can control how I exercise, how I warm up, how I do all that sort of thing. If you say to me, uh, it depends whether the wind's blowing in off the left, I mean, well, then, well, then we're dead in the water because I can't control that. So the, the controllables are there and, and I think a warm up and, and being prepared from that side of things, nutrition and things like that is, is they're all controllables and they're things that I can, I can influence. And, and if you have that as your, your anchor, I mean, you know, you're setting yourself up for good performance every single time. 
Yeah, she's. If I could approach one of my rounds like that, I really enjoy golf. Or so. Who are, the, who are some of the guys that you're currently working with in the the pro level? Well, and or, or have Europe, in the last yeah, few years. Well, yeah, European Tour and, and Sunshine Tour. There's a lot of um, you know, uh, guys that play on both tours. Um, I work with a guy named Jacques Blau, who's on the Web.com tour now um, over in the states. He's playing here as well. Um, he did quite nicely this last week. Um, I, I once caddied for Jacques. Did you? It was his worst ever professional <laughs> round. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it so clearly. Um, it was in the winter tour when he had just come out of the amateur ranks. Okay. So he's gone a long way since then. <laughs> Fair enough. No, he's a lovely guy, Jacques. Yeah. I love spending time. Terrific so, guy. So Jacques's one of them. Um, I work with Hayden Porteous. Um, George Cotsia has been a client of mine for a while now. Um, doing some really good stuff with him. And I think he's got uh, he's got some really, really good performances coming up soon. Um, I work with Dean Burmester. Um, which was great. We've only been working together for about a month now, and, and it was very nice to see him win last week. And he was very kind. He had some kind words for me, which is which is always encouraging. But uh, it's just I just really want to help guys, uh, you know, achieve their true potential. And 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 Dean has certainly got a lot of that, um, and has got a very bright future ahead of him. Um, I work with Dylan Fratelli and and um, Eric von Ryan, two youngsters as well. Um, and then a very talented youngster, um, Christian Bazadnot. Um, is it, he won Rookie of the Year? Yeah, it's one of the most amazing golf swings I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just it's fluid and flowing, and and you know his coach Dougie Wood, who I work with, has done a great job there. And and you know we've been working with with um, with Christian since he was I mean nine years old. He first started seeing Doug, and I picked him up when he was about eleven, twelve. So you know he's one of those that we're molding for the future, and 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 I really think he has a very bright future ahead of him too. So um, you know I work with Ashley Simon and a couple of other girls on the on the the ladies um, European tour and on the LPGA. Um, so you know, th- there's a lot of lot of folks and other others that I haven't mentioned, but um, you know, it's it's exciting to work with the pros. I I enjoy that that moment, that time. Um, you know, standing at you know on a major uh, at, a, at a major event. Um, you know, on the practice range, and you know, there's a very high pressure situation that. Um, and I always say that the the difference between making and not is very small. The problem is there's so much cr- crap in that small space that, that make, creates a lot of high pressure. Um, and some people enjoy that and and enjoy that moment. And I certainly do. Some some people don't. But yeah. It's such a great um, cross section of of players that you're working with there. You look at a guy like uh, Hayden Porteous. Obviously, he's gone from winning Joe Big Open to having some swing issues. That he's looking to go through. We have got a guy like George Kutsia, maybe in your more traditional build as a golfer. Sure, and then you got Dean com- built for comfort. It's a- and then you got Dean Burmester who absolutely murders the ball off the tee. Yeah. Do, do you often find sometimes that you'll be working with someone? I mean, if you look at those three players, there's a three different golf games, mm-hmm. so to speak. Do you often find sometimes that you'll be working with someone, say like Dean? You'll learn something like that that maybe the Hayden could pick up on, and vice versa. Yes, and and often to the duress of some of my players, they're like, "I don't don't tell them that I'm doing this." <laughs> so you know, it's all about the competitive edge. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the way that guys go about things, um, particularly enjoy working with some of the, the guys who've been on tour for a while, and you can certainly glean a lot from what they do, and hopefully sort of feed that into some of the youngsters, um, so that they don't have to make the same mistakes to learn. They can learn from others. You know, um, right. so you know. You know, I, I certainly enjoy working with George Kutzer. He, he's one of those guys that is is highly intelligent um, and maybe a little over-analytical at times, um, but he always always got a, a, a good reason for why we're doing things. And he will always – he doesn't question me, but he, he'll want to know why we're doing what we're doing and what effect this is going to have on the swing. Right. And, and, and that's something that he's – he puts emphasis into. You know, he, he wants to know, is this going to help my golf, yes or no? Um you know, George is funny enough. I mean, his fitness handicap is you know, five point five. So, from a from a golf fitness perspective, 
he's actually extremely fit. Yeah, he's, he's got flex- flexibility. Flexibility, stability, and he's yeah. got a lot of power, you know, and, and that's key. Yes, of course, he might not look like, um, you know, Jordan Spieth or one of those guys, but, uh, but you know, this is the way George is. And, and, and if I had to change everything with him, he, he may well lose his golf game. Exactly. Which really at the bottom line is why he's coming to see me. He wants to play better golf, mm. not necessarily look, make the front cover of GQ magazine. I mean, not with that face, but anyway, but, um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, George, George is, a, he, he understands that really at the end of the day, it's about playing better golf so that he can execute you know his sport and 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 um you know perform uh on a regular basis so you know now i look at a guy like hayden and and dean both you know athletes as such um both hit the ball a country mile um and with them it's more about um controlling other variables that allow them to get arrive at the golf course you know in in that state of readiness um, yeah. So that, that a lot of that stuff I've been working on with with those two. In a perfect scenario, what would be the sort of uh, so difficult again because it's a very personal game golf. But what would be the perfect age to come to someone like you if your intention is worldwide phenomenal performances and pride, <laughs> world domination, pride, glory, yeah. victories, everything else, a professional golf? Yeah, I mean, we've got programs that we run at our at our academy and, and it's a it is a passion of mine i've got two sons and, and they love their golf and, and our junior programs are, i'm very proud of them we've got our, our big five golf program and it's all about um starting with physical literacy so i'll break that down there's there's two things that make a child physically literate there's fundamental movement skills and then fundamental sports skills so fundamental movement skills would be things like running jumping hopping throwing catching and things like that so if you don't have a fundamental movement skill well then we can't then teach you the fundamental sports skill on top of that so let's take cricket for example so if you can't catch you can't play cricket yeah you can't play baseball you can't play netball you can't play a multitude of sports that require catching that's my fundamental movement skill so um we work on the movement skills first and then the sports skill of that specific sport thereafter so in golf it would be chipping hitting putting that type of thing um and we use a lot of the movement skill education in the skills um education too so that's sort of from the age of about five or six up to about 12 um the thing between the ages of nine and 12 every child has what's called a speed window uh, uh, and in our development process that long-term athletic development um, between the ages of nine and 12 obviously it, it varies with boys and girls and can go up and down but that's the age at which we develop speed so we do a lot of stuff with kids of that age um, to develop speed. We really don't care where the ball goes, just hit it as hard as you can. Yeah. And, and, and we've got other – we use a lot of other little tools and implements and, and you know, we use um, clubs and rackets, things from other sports where you can help generate that type of speed. So I think that's important window not to miss. Um, but from uh, early specialization – is a real problem in this day and age in sports. I mean, I, I've had parents arrive with their son, the, the kid's nine years old, and dad has got you know Tiger Woods how I play golf under one arm and and Hogan's five fundamentals under the other, <laughs> and is telling me that his kid is going to be the next big thing. So, and and at that age, I'm afraid it's far too young. Um, I tend to like to really get kids to specialise into golf um, at the age of about fourteen, fifteen. Um, I think you know when the body's changing and you're playing an asymmetrical sport with that much load that repetitively um it's a there's a multitude of injuries that are going to occur the the kid is going to experience some form of burnout at some point and will probably fall out of love with the game um before they reach 20 and and really at at their peak so i tend to say if someone really wants to take think that well my 
my son is ready to play golf and, and it must be the, the kid's decision. It must be the child's decision that this is what I want to do. I want to specialize in golf or any sport, sport for that matter. I say around the ages of 14 and 15, then it's the time to then say, okay, well, now we'll stop playing the team sports and things like that and let's just focus on, on one specific discipline. So before I get into my next question, which is linked to this, would you say then, I mean, I believe Tiger's got too much mileage on the clock. He just burnt out because I mean, for the age of three, golf was something he was doing a lot of. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, it'd be a fair thing that there's only so much your body can retake really mentally and physically. Yeah, I mean, and, and Tiger's done a lot to his body as well. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, he, he has trained like a bit of a meathead to be honest I mean he, yeah. he did come from the old school type uh, mindset of training um, a lot more sort of bodybuilding heavy lifting um, you know one of the things that really caused his his multitude of injuries and in his knee and certainly his back um, was his obsession with the military um, mm. and you know his father and it was his father I mean his father passed away sure. and his father was big into the military and, and Tiger sought solace in, in um well, two things. Obviously, the one we know all about, um, but yeah. the other one was was training and, exactly. uh, and training with the gym. And he actually he joined Navy SEALs. He joined the Navy SEALs in Southern California um, and went through Navy SEAL basic training. And I mean, if anyone who knows anything about the military, the, the purpose of Navy SEAL basic is to break you. Let's push you until you break, because we want to see where your breaking point is, and then we know whether you, we can push you any further. So, and this was the problem. He was doing meathead type bodybuilding type training, overloading his body, and eventually. He broke because that was the nature of what he was doing. So, you know, I think, you know, one of the things in this day and age is that there's a lot of knowledge out there and a lot of expertise. And, and when it's used well and, and, and you get people on, on on your team who can support you with good sound um, programming and knowledge and coaching and teaching, um, you know, we, we can we can certainly avoid, you know, catastrophes like that. Sure. To the other side of the spectrum, okay, I'm 35 currently. Uh, I started playing golf when I was 14. I then discovered girls and booze around 17, took a massive break, and then I've been playing literally like here and there ever since. I'm, I'm a four handicap now. I love golf. Mm. Mentally, I, I'll always want to go to the golf course. I've got a real desire to play. Um, you know, I work in sport. It's just, it's my favorite thing. What would it take? Um, again, it's a difficult question, but in the next two years, if I was to dedicate, say, I know three days a week of being proper and focused in my training is it would you be able to say like again you have to understand how I hit the ball and that kind of stuff but like my initial goal is to win my club championships right okay but again it's consistency getting to a point where you know you can break par that kind of stuff would it with all the technology we've got, and if you've got time on your side I mean is this something that could be really attainable in a short space of time like say two years the short answer yes Absolutely, it is. But obviously, it does take time and dedication and yeah. hard work. So, and you, but but if, if you had, I mean, like, again, anyone can dedicate time to something, and, yeah. and anyone can try. Yeah, those are two things that yeah. you can do for free. Absolutely. But if you're saying there's enough focused stuff out there, and there's enough ways of assessing a golfer that you can really pinpoint things and work really, really hard at something, that the results can come that quickly. Yes, I agree. Definitely, there are. And I think, you know, like I said, when we we, we do a full game assessment of every, every student that comes to see us. Um, and we may find a a leakage in your game somewhere, whether it is your physical, you know, flexibility and mobility, or whether it's your ability to putt. Okay, we, we will say right. Okay, well, these are the key areas that you are deficient in. If we improve those, we can make a massive effect on your ability to play this game. So, you know, I always say to you guys, you look at the and in, in our, our trifecta of things: mental, physical, and technical. You know, um, 
we don't really have 100% control over the technical because you can make a perfect swing and hit the ball on a perfect line with a perfect flight and it might still go in the water because sure. a gust of wind might pick up and blow it. So there's no guarantees from a technical perspective. Mentally, you know, we also try and be mentally strong and things. But again, we don't have complete control over it because, you know, there's mental things happen. I might be paired with somebody that I don't like or something happens out on the golf course and I don't respond well to it. Something like oh, I've had a fight with my girlfriend the night before or whatever it might be. So we don't have a 100% control over that either. I always say that for me, from a physical perspective, we do. I've got 100% control over my physical. So, you know, 33.3% of my golf game, I have 100% control over. And, and, and the people who come to see me and I run them through a screen and I'll say to them, look, your fitness handicap is 19. Okay, so I always ask them, like, out of the 33.3%, how much do you think you're really using? And they might say, well, 10. I say, well, if I said to you, in the next six months, I can give you another 20% on wow. your golf game, would that excite you? And think how much better you could be. And that, I think that kind of puts it into perspective about where you should invest your time. Um, you know, I might assess someone and they might be a four handicap on the, on my physical screen. I'm going to say to them, don't come and see me. It's whatever you're doing, you're fine. You need to work on, you know, you need to see the coach and they need to improve your golf swing or your putting or your bunker play. Or, you know, you're a great player. You play off a, a plus two or, or, or even like a low handicap two or three. And very invariably, it, it comes down to a mental thing, like yeah. your approach to how you play the game and, and your reaction, your response to adversity. Because let's be honest, that's what golf is. It's a game of overcoming adversity. And uh, I, I love this quote. There's a guy named Alistair, Alistair Cook, um, a journalist, well-known journalist uh, in, in the sort of 80s and 90s. And he wrote, he said, golf is a game that was created by our creator as an atonement for our sins <laughs> and I love that because and it I, is I've like, had days that makes sense <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing and it's and it's how well you respond to that because we've all experienced that just like you said everyone from Tiger Woods to a rank flat out 36 handicapper you know golf can be maddening all at, as well as you know enjoyable all at the same time and, and it's how well we respond to those maddening situations and so often uh, you know we see kids and and you know, um, senior adults who, who, like you said, want to play their club champs and their golf game is there. You know, they just, they just don't deal well with the things that happen to them out on the golf course. So it may yeah. well be a mental thing. And it's just, it's also understanding all these things. So if something goes wrong, you know exactly what, what it is has gone wrong yeah, and sure. why it's gone wrong. And that's, I mean, it's the adaptation as well. Correct. I mean, you see it with great rugby players, yeah. cricketers, footballers, whatever. It's adapting to these things. Mm-hmm. Well, Garth, the time has absolutely flown. Um, just finally, if you are looking to improve your game, so whether it be from my perspective or professional, whatever, how can people get hold of you? Where can people find out more about your, your ways? and obviously get in touch yeah well you can get hold of me on uh, at our website um, uh, www.wannabeachampion.com um, you can follow me on Twitter Smiley Milne or on our Wanna Be A Champion handles I Wanna Be A Champ um, anything that's from a from a if you really want to upskill your knowledge base um, I'd say go to the, the TPR website which is uh, my mytpr.com um, and they've got a multitude of stuff on there from articles to you know, videos to exercises to all sorts of stuff on, um, you know, golf skill and golf performance and golf training, golf coaching. And, and they've got certifications there as well that you can do. If you really want to do what I do and maybe work with golfers and if they may okay. well be your passion going down the line, then if there's someone who would be interested in that, then, then look at the TPR certifications. Um, it, it applies to whether you're a golf coach, a mental coach, a fitness coach a medical professional they've got streams for all those different um vocations and and it uh it really is quite an exciting industry i i, I love what i do like i said my passion is my occupation and, and i'm very fortunate to do what i love and, and i don't work a day in my life so 
um, I, I'm just I'm truly blessed to do what I do, and, and I get to spend time with some some truly remarkable people. I'm really I'm I'm just so curious what my physical golf handicap would be. I, I'm thinking about this. Like, oh, let's get you down. Let's get it tested. Yeah, that's interesting. God, thank you so much for your time. That was fascinating. Like I said, I, I could probably have you back at some stage, maybe when uh, we into the major season and just like dissect what makes people so great. Because I, I love, love reading the books. I listen to whatever podcast I can find about golf because I think this whole thing about what makes a champion is one of the most fascinating things in all of sport. And uh, the more info I can find out about it, this is what really drives me. Thanks so much. That's it for this week on The Bounce Show. Next week, we're going to have a rugby guest. I know I promised this to you about two weeks ago, but we're really going to do it. Super Rugby's nice and into things now. Uh, I hope everything's going well for you in the Super Brew pool. So next week, look forward to a rugby guest. Um, there's some really great guys out there. Of course, social media brings it all together, just like it does right here on this podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, if you're listening live, um, you can catch the whole podcast on thebounce.ca.za or go onto cliffcentral.com and look for the bounce page right there. Cool. Catch you back next week. Cliffcentral.com.